Welcome to the Horsewise Podcast with Lynn Reardon, where we share stories of horses and people and what they teach each other. On today's episode, I talk about how a mare named Junebug taught me everything I know today about pre-purchase exams. I hope you enjoy the show and have a wonderful day. Hi everyone, I'm Lynn Reardon, the host of the podcast and head coach at Horsewise. Today I'd like to talk to you about my very first pre-purchase exam experience way, way back in the day. And I'm sharing this experience because I think it's pretty common for adult beginners, maybe people who are buying their first horse as an adult, to get in these situations where it's a little bit unclear not only if the horse is right for you, or if maybe even there is a little bit of some advantage being taken of your lack of experience and knowledge in the horse world. Now, I want to caveat this by saying, I don't think anybody in this scenario that I experienced was malicious. It was more maybe along the lines that certain things were accepted and assumed. And so let me just kind of launch into the story so that it makes more sense. So uh, I've been very open, as all of you know, I didn't learn to ride really until I was an adult. I had done some random pony rides. I'd had a disastrous set of group riding lessons as a very young child at an extremely dubious barn. Uh, The common practice at this barn was to put adult helmets on the children and stuff them with rubber gloves uh, so that they would stay on. Obviously not exactly the most top-notch kind of safety requirements. And my parents were not wealthy and, um, you know, they really couldn't afford the lessons for very long, which probably in the long run was a good thing because the odds are high. I probably would have gotten hurt at that barn. So I really didn't learn to ride officially until I was in my 20s. I started taking group riding lessons through, I I think it was like the local, almost like community center, like you could sign up through the county for lessons at this large barn. And so I took lessons there for a while and it was somewhat better than my childhood barn, but not by massive degrees, which is another podcast down the road. And after that, I just sort of wandered around a bit. I did some volunteering for the park police, which was actually really awesome. I got a lot of great experience from there. And then I managed somehow to wander into playing polo. Now, I am not wealthy. I've never been wealthy. This was kind of what I referred to as street polo. There was a regular kind of large club and that had the more classic kind of members who were able to afford, you know, many horses. That's kind of normal for that sport. And then they also would have practice memberships for people like me. You know, I took lessons through the little polo school they had there. And then I would sometimes ride practice chuckers. I would, you know, I think at the time I was using school horses, maybe. I can't remember. Maybe some folks were loaning me horses here and there. And again, very new to kind of everything. I had a good seat and I could ride pretty solidly at that point, but nobody was looking at me to, you know, enter the Olympics or anything. And kind of word got out on the street that maybe I would be interested in purchasing uh, a horse, which was a big decision for me. And of course, classic for me, um, I did not have a large budget. I have never had a large budget to buy a horse. My best horse ever cost a dollar. 
Um, so obviously this is something that, um, you know, now I'm not advocating that people go out and buy horses for a dollar or anything like that. But when I was first out there kind of learning and wanting to maybe own a horse for the first time, it was logical given that I was playing this kind of casual neighborhood polo, so to speak, that I would look at a polo horse. And polo horses can be great because they've had a lot of experience. They usually are very handy, meaning they neck rein well, they trail ride, they tend to be sturdy and they're not super big. So anyway, word got out that I might be looking to purchase a, a horse. And one of the players there approached me and said that he had an older horse that he was getting ready to retire. He played, I think, a higher, faster version of the sport. And this little mare, Junebug, was looking for a home. And so he let me ride her and exercise her a little bit. I think I might have even ridden her in a, in a practice chucker or two. I don't remember. And she was a cute little thing, cute little bay horse with a star. And uh, again, at the time, I didn't really know what I didn't know. Um, there was maybe something that didn't quite seem right about her when I was riding her, maybe something in her gait, but I didn't really have the capacity to discern what that was. And a lot of the polo ponies would be a little bit, um, what's the word? They'd be a little bit exuberant when they weren't playing. So they might be a little bit bouncy. They might be a little bit less than smooth as trail riding mounts because they were used to kind of galloping all the time on the polo field. And the other thing with polo, which is actually something I kind of liked about the sport, is they really don't care in that sport what the horse looks like or uh, how how it moves. It doesn't have to be a perfect, lovely mover. The main thing that they look for is, does the horse really like to play the sport? Do they, Does that horse really enjoy it? Are they good at kind of chasing the play, so to speak? And so it's very, um, I guess, non-pretentious in some way, even though a lot of people who play the sport are quite, as I said, financially well-to-do. So anyway, I, I, I kind of, you know, rode Junebug a little bit and thought she was cute. And, uh, you know, she just seemed maybe a little bit stoic. I don't even know if I would have used that word then. But looking back now, I think that was something that I had noticed, that she wasn't maybe quite as bubbly and forthcoming with her personality. Again, not necessarily a bad thing, maybe just a sign of a quiet horse, right? So uh, the price was right. And I told the player who owned her that I would like to do a pre-purchase exam because I had been very dutifully reading up on what you should do, you know, when you are looking to purchase a horse for the first time, read a bunch of online articles. And obviously a pre-purchase would be part of that approach. And the player kind of, he kind of hemmed and hawed a little and he was like, well, um, you can do that. But if you decide to just buy her now without a pre-purchase exam, I will guarantee her for you for a year. And what that essentially meant was that if anything went wrong with the horse, he would take the horse back for a full refund over the course of a year. And this was something I heard was pretty common at the club. Um, it seemed like many of the people who would maybe be buying horses for the first time or uh, maybe expanding, maybe they just had one or two horses and they were getting ready to add to their string, that one of the more advanced players or professional players who played at this club would make them an offer like that. Hey, if you buy this horse now, I will guarantee it for a year. For whatever reason, perhaps it's because um, I'm kind of a conservative person, that just seemed like a, a scenario where a lot of things could go wrong and where there could be some misunderstanding. So I was like, no, I'd really like to do the pre-purchase exam. So, um, 
the vet came out to the barn to do a pre-purchase exam on June bug and the owner couldn't be there of the horse, but he had his trainer there to sort of watch the pre-purchase exam. And she was really nice. She was someone that I had, you know, seen a lot at the club and really liked her. She seemed like a good all around kind of sporty athletic kind of person and good with the horses, always took good care of them and rode them well, rode them smoothly, all the things. So the vet came out and he was kind of a classic uh, older school, large animal slash equine vet. And he came out and explained to me what the pre-purchase would be about. And he proceeded then to do the first flexion. I think it was on her uh, left front foot. And uh, so did the flexion and immediately there's some head bobbing or whatever. Again, I was so green, I I could tell that there was something not quite right, but I, I didn't really understand the severity of the head bob that I was seeing. And the vet turned to me and he said, okay, this horse is lame. You know, this is a, whatever he said, three out of four level of lameness. This is a point where really we would normally stop the exam. And he said, unless you want to check out the other legs. And there I am, I'm kind of like, wow, what should I do? Like maybe, I don't even know what I was thinking. It's like, you know, really, if you've got one leg that's to that degree, you don't really need to check out the others. But at the time I was like, well, maybe there's a benefit to it. I was already, I was already in it financially for the pre-purchase, right? The pre-purchase is the pre-purchase. They don't charge extra per leg. So I was like, let's see the other, other flexions as well. And well, you know, poor Junebug, she flunked all four of the flexions, all four legs pretty badly. And the owner's trainer, right? Who is sort of representing him at this pre-purchase exam, I could just see her kind of, you know, looking pretty disappointed, but also I would say not insanely surprised, right? So, and the vet kind of had this look on his face that was a little bit, um, I think he was trying to be supportive, but maybe there was just a little bit of, of pity in there for me, for my lack of experience. And I realized by the fourth leg that, um, obviously this is not going to work out. Um, and I'm also realizing the degree to which this horse was limited. It had been offered to me as a suitable mount for me to play very, very, again, low goal polo, meaning very slow polo, but still, even at the low goals, you are galloping across the field. You are riding somewhat strenuously. I was not the most, uh, hardest player on a horse. You know, I would not be running a horse into the ground, so to speak, but still it's, it's not like it was just, uh, walk, trot, trail ride with a kid or something like that. And so I'm kind of realizing that I'm, I'm taking this all in and that, um, my lack of experience was one of the reasons why this horse had been offered to me. Now, just to give again, perspective, I don't think that this was malicious. This is probably, I would say fairly normal where if you have an older performance horse, who's ready to retire, from your level of that sport, it is often very common in multiple disciplines for that horse to be rehomed to somebody who is just starting out in the sport, who needs a horse that's quiet and steady and very experienced, who can't go as fast or as hard or, you know, run the pattern as much if it's a barrel horse, but can certainly take good care of that new person. 
and soundness being somewhat of a relative term. So the idea of service, serviceably sound is what maybe comes into play in these situations. The horse is not going to be high performance sound, but they might be, you know, serviceably sound for certain things. But it did occur to me that one of the things that I had been feeling when I had been riding June Bug and that kind of also stoicness was probably because she was uncomfortable and I didn't even know it, right? So the trainer, I think, conveyed the, you know, bad news to the owner and he promptly reached out to me and said, hey, I know those were disappointing results. However, you know, a horse is more than its vet exam and I think she would be a good mount for you. And I'm still willing to sell her to you and guarantee her for a year. And, you know, at that point I was like, no, I really think this is probably not a good match for me. And thank you very much, you know, for offering her to me. And I don't think that that was the answer that, <laughs> that um, I don't think that was the answer that the owner or his trainer really wanted, but I think they understood. And that was really a turning point for me where it's not that I immediately obviously turned pro or anything like that, but I came to understand that my, my innocence of the experience and the fact also that I was a very nice person and everyone probably would like for a horse to be with me, right? Um, it would be like, oh, you know, Lynn's going to be really sweet. She loves the horses. She's never going to you know, sell that horse to a bad place. She'll, she'll take good care of it forever. But all those things maybe came together and that maybe the horses that were going to be offered to me right off the bat, even if they were coming from people that I knew might not be the best long-term matches for me. At the same time, it is true that a high goal, super fancy polo pony would have been way outside of my financial budget and also way outside of my riding skill or even my level of discipline participation. Like that would have been, if I had been suddenly, you know, I'd won the lottery and I went and bought the fanciest, most incredibly high performance polo pony in the United States, that would have been a waste. It would have been a waste of that horse because I would not have been able to uh, work with that horse, ride that horse, play that horse to the level that it was trained to do. So I understood all of that, but I also recognized that I needed to step to the plate and educate myself so that I could make good decisions for myself moving forward about what kind of horses might be appropriate for me as my first horse. Um, and that felt a little bit like a coming of age thing, which is so funny because I was, it wasn't like I was 18, you know, but it felt a little bit like a coming of age where you're like, hey, it's not that everybody's out to cheat me at all, but recognizing that it was up to me to take ownership of the situation, learn what I needed to learn, not lash out at everybody and assume there was some big drama behind it, but go, hey, this is part of the deal. And one of the biggest responsibilities of owning your first horse is the method by which you choose that horse, the method by which you assess that horse. 
and take into account what your true needs are. It can be easy for people who are new to a sport to assume that they need to buy the best horse if they have the budget. If I'd had a large budget, maybe I would have made that mistake too, right? I mean, they're so gorgeous. And we all want to think that we're going to be performing at the top level. But the bottom line is that actually an older horse that was slowing down in the sport would have been the perfect match for me if there hadn't been so many soundness issues. And then the other thing I came to recognize is that it's very important to click with that horse personality-wise. Nothing against Junebug. I think she was probably, as I said, a little shut down, probably pretty uncomfortable. Um, But maybe there wasn't as natural click personality-wise, which is good because then I probably would have bought her anyway, right? So my first horse eventually turned out to be a solidly middle-aged little polo pony mare who was smooth and comfortable who passed her pre-purchase with no problem and was a great first horse for me for many, many years. And I eventually retired her to a really good home and I got to experience that part of horse ownership as well, which is when it's time for them to move on to complete retirement, what are the choices that you make? So all of that, again, turned out to be a really good experience, but looking back in hindsight, I wish I had had someone maybe who wasn't a uh, interested party, so to speak, uh, wasn't somebody who was selling a horse or wasn't somebody who wanted to sell me a certain kind of horse. Like, let's say, let's say I'd had a trainer who wanted to make sure that I got a good horse, but also one that was maybe at a higher level of budget. Because the bottom line is that there are commissions and all kinds of things that can play a little bit of an incentive process in the sales of horses, particularly to first-time owners. Again, it's not that I'm saying that everybody's out to cheat you. That's not it at all. And certainly you do want to rely on trusted advisors to help you. But it is also important to have people or at least get your own knowledge together from sources that aren't involved in the direct sale, whether it's online, whether it's working with somebody who is, again, no skin in the game, so to speak, uh, who only wants to maybe give you some objective feedback. This can be very helpful. It's also really important, I think, if you are in the market for your first horse, that you look at lots of different horses um, so that you don't fall in love immediately with the first horse, it can be, it's kind of like houses, right? So it can be really helpful to the process to understand what you want to see a variety of houses before you decide on the one that is going to be perfect for you. In any hot market, it can feel like I better buy this horse before someone else does. And I have come to find that as a, not a good sign. It's not a good way to start a relationship with a horse. Um, That horse, if for most of us, is going to probably be with you for many, many years, possibly the rest of its life. And it merits a kind of a quiet, slower approach if you're able to do that and if you're able to have some outside assistance. It can also help kind of make things more emotionally neutral in general so that you don't feel all suspicious of everything that's going on, nor are you writing a check immediately for every horse that's presented to you. So I learned a lot from that experience. And I did find out later that Junebug found a really nice home doing very light job. So it did work out for her as well that it wasn't the right match for me, but she turned out to be a good match for a different situation. 
And I like to think that maybe that pre-purchase exam changed the dynamic of where ultimately she went. If you're shopping for your first horse and you'd like to get a better handle on the kinds of things I'm talking about in this podcast, shoot me an email at horsewisecoach at icloud.com and I'll send you my list of the 10 things that I learned from my pre-purchase exam with Junebug, including some of the technical things that I watched out for in the next pre-purchase. As always, thank you for listening, and I hope you have a wonderful day.